On this week's gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio, we got free games for the month of February, a new addition to Street Fighter V, Harmonix, and Rock Band VR. On the entertainment side of things, we got a new director for Batman after Ben Affleck's departure from the film, plus a ton of other entertainment news for the week. The gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 395, powered by Rageworks, bringing you a one-stop shop for all things gaming, entertainment, and tech. I'm your host, Rich, and as always, I want to thank you for hitting that download button or pressing play and checking us out, whether it be for the first time or for your 395th time. Uh, Really excited as MTR marches towards its 400th episode, as many of you know, since switching away from the live format, we've been releasing the MMA and Wrestling Edition and the Gaming and Entertainment Editions of MTR every week, usually with MMA and Wrestling dropping between Wednesday and Thursday. We've had a couple of instances where it's gone into Friday, and for that I apologize, just trying to get a schedule in place. And the Gaming and Entertainment Editions usually drop between Friday and Saturday, depending on our recording schedule. But nonetheless, really excited to be marching towards MTR number 400, which is going to be airing live. Yes, we're going to do a live episode on March 1st. Uh, Really excited. Same 1130 start time as usual. It's going to be a special episode, obviously, it being our 400th. And um, that's only going to be that's going to be the only live episode. I know a couple of people were excited when I said I would be doing a new live episode of MTR. But unfortunately, it is not going to be something that's going to be recurring. It is just going to be for our 400th episode. Now, a couple of housekeeping things I want to get out of the way before we jump into this week's gaming and entertainment stuff. Uh, First and foremost, uh, we will be covering the 2017 Toy Fair starting February 18th through the 21st. So definitely keep it locked to our social media accounts for all things Toy Fair related, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram or Snapchat, we're going to definitely be putting out a lot of content. Uh, as a matter of fact, we recently went to visit Mezco uh, here in Long Island City, New York, and got to check out a lot of the great stuff they have on deck for uh, collectors, whether you're a fan of Batman or Living Dead dolls, horror movie characters, Marvel Marvel stuff. They, they really had an amazing setup, and I was very excited to not only get to check out the stuff firsthand, but also to see what they're cooking up for the remainder of 2017. And if you're a hardcore comic fan, you're going to be seeing some really, really dope stuff. Uh, Pictures have been released gradually on Instagram. If you're not following us, please do so at Rageworks on Instagram. We're putting pictures out there and we're putting a piece together for our YouTube channel as well as for the site. Uh, Myself and Jimbo Slice, who host the Variant Issue uh, comic podcast, which we release bi-weekly, We'll be discussing a little bit of that Mezco trip on the next episode, as well as a couple of other things. In addition to that, I know a lot of you guys 
have been asking about uh, doing some live streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, really just trying to get the schedule ironed out in terms of just releasing the schedules in a timely fashion. I mean, the biggest hurdle has been, you know, usually when we were doing live episodes of My Take Radio, we would air at 11.30 right by 1 a.m., and then I would start editing audio and video to release the episodes usually that, that later on that morning at 9 or 10 a.m., and then obviously I would go to work, and we would come back and do it all over again on Thursday for a release on Friday, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, now that I'm not doing the live episodes, I've been just focusing on giving you guys other content, written and video. And because of that, uh, we still haven't put together a dedicated podcast release schedule. And I'm hoping to iron that out by the time MTR 400 comes out. But you should expect a gaming and entertain uh, a gaming and entertainment edition as well as an MMA and wrestling edition every week. That's that's pretty much the name of the game. Like I said, originally I had wanted to get out the episodes, uh, record Wednesday for MMA and wrestling for release Thursday, and then record Thursday for release Friday for the gaming and entertainment stuff. And it's it's worked for the most part, but again, just a couple of things that we are still ironing out. Nonetheless, uh, as I said, MTR 400, March 1st, 11.30 p.m. Eastern, 8.30 p.m. Pacific on MTR Live. That's going to be an MMA and wrestling edition. And, you know, as usual, you could come interact in the chat. I don't know if we're going to be taking live calls because I'm trying to move away from blog talk radio. I've talked about that before about the, you know, 400 plus dollar expense for a service that uh, works sporadically. Maybe we'll do something with Skype or create something else. But that's pretty much the name of the game for uh the live episode of course like i said you can interact in the chat that we have set up and that'll be a good way to do it and if we find a way to take calls of course we will obviously allow you guys to participate that way all right aside from that like i said we got toy fair and uh hopefully check out john wick this weekend have a review on rageworks.net and of course a five minute movie review on the next gaming and entertainment edition of mtr all right housekeeping out of the way let's jump into this week's gaming news. All right, let's kick off this gaming segment with a very, very big news item that has been talked about on social media over the last couple of hours, and that is that the ESA has announced that E3, for the first time in history, will open to the public. Starting February 13th, the ESA will open up sales for 15,000 tickets to consumers. The first 1,000 of those tickets will sell for $149 each, and the rest will sell for $249. Now, these tickets are going to provide you access to all three days of the show and grant the owner of said ticket full access to the show floor. You'll be able to buy those tickets straight from E3's website. Now, it's interesting because obviously, you know, E3 is something that's been an industry event for as far back as I can remember. And there's always been stuff about them possibly opening it, opening it up to the public. But, um, you know, it never really came to fruition. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because E3, for the most part, has been a source of many, many great uh, moments in the gaming industry. But over the last couple of years, attendance has kind of petered out. And um, I think that the reason why they're opening up, uh, opening it up to the public is that they're trying to encourage, you know, now that people are doing more streaming and more stuff on Twitch, 
having these people attend these events and leveraging that social, you know, that social aspect is going to allow them to get further ahead and do more. I mean, uh, in a piece put out by Polygon, they were showing attendance year over year. And in 2005, 70,000 people attended uh, E3. And then with each year, it kind of petered out, the lowest being in 2007 and 2008. But then in 2009 and going further, it kind of just leveled out. I mean, 2016 had an attendance of 50,300, which is which is pretty solid. But still, I think by allowing, you know, an extra thousand, you know, 1000 people attending, you're going to be getting a different type of social proof. And as somebody who covers the gaming industry, I personally have not attended E3. It's on my bucket list and, you know, the real world and everything else gets in the way. But one thing I have to say about E3 that has always bothered me as it is an industry event is that a lot of a lot of times the industry doesn't really go out of their way to release a lot to the to the public. And what I'm saying is, um, you know, certain sites and certain, you know, outlets go, they go to E3, they participate in all the parties. And yes, they release some of the bigger news stories, but it almost feels like the information is being regurgitated from outlet to outlet to outlet. And I'll be honest, I've, you know, we haven't attended E3, but we've pretty much released content as if we were there. And that's because a lot of it is coming to us at such a rapid pace. As soon as it's announced on the show floor, the PR's uh, the, the the public relations teams for, for, you know, various companies send out all the releases. Boom, you got all the stuff. And, um, you know, it's crazy. It really is. And the thing that gets me is that, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pro. There's a lot of pros, excuse me, and a lot of cons in terms of letting the public in. As I said, you know, it's an industry event and it's usually just packed with games and different tech demos and all this cool stuff. And obviously, tons of after parties, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in 2015, I remember they had allowed, you know, like some of the some of game, uh, you know, big time gaming fans to get in there and wander as invited guests. But it wasn't open specifically to the public. Again, it was, you know, an invite only scenario. And then last year, they started allowing some of the more, you know, the more prosumer grade individuals. Polygon actually put a number to that, saying that 5,000 prosumers attended E3. Uh, last year the ESA also did an E3 live event which was a free event that was open to the general public that E3 live event drew about 20,000 people and didn't even take place in the Los Angeles Convention Center where E3 is normally held instead it was held at the LA live uh, event center in downtown Los Angeles and and that that's pretty crazy you know I mean there's there's been a lot of stuff with regards to you know Jeff Keighley and and the game awards about doing gamer events at LA, in LA Live as part of E3 as well. And there's been so many different things going on. Of course, you're still going to have the, the media and business component, and you'll be able to do all these different things, VIP business lounge, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the thing that got me was that the ESA is encouraging you know people that are leaders in the streaming community to register as media this year. And once again, that goes back to what I was saying about just trying to leverage all that social proof. Think about this, and I'll give you an example. Say you run a modest website, you get you know fifty thousand views a month, maybe more, maybe less, and you're out there, you're putting out content, you're you're streaming, you're doing all this stuff, and a PR firm puts out an article, 
and IGN reports on it, Polygon, all these companies, and then that's it. It just it, it, it once it's released and announced, it's not really talked about. It kind of just dies on the vine. Now, obviously, games that are controversial or games that are you know flagship titles will be talked about in a very very broad in a very broad scope. But for the most part, it's pretty much hey, check this good game out. It looks really awesome. Here's a press release. We put it out. We we write some content. Maybe we review it down the road, and that's it. By having the general public be involved in E3, they end up leveraging so much, like I said, of that social bandwidth. Think about this. Uh, if you have somebody who's a streamer, and I'm talking about a legit streamer that's getting, you know, 500,000 subscribers, et cetera, et cetera, you know, guys like PewDiePie, and some of these other uh, individuals for YouTube and, of course, some of the big streamers on Twitch, and they get out there and they check out these games and they're live streaming from the events and sharing it with their community. All of a sudden now, these people who are attending either as media or as just regular consumers have just become ambassadors for your company or your game or your brand. And you know what you had, what you had to shell out for that? Absolutely nothing. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of the, a lot of guys in the industry who I know that, you know, cover E3 are very upset about the, the general public being allowed to participate in the event because, oh, the show floor is already crowded as it is, blah, 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 this, that, and the third. And if there's one thing I've learned, you know, covering Comic-Con and some of these other events is that when you allow the general public to enter these events, it, it, it forces you to up your game. And let me explain. When you go to cover, I'll give an example, New York Comic Con, when we were actually going on a consistent basis, you know, they would open either, they would either give you a press day, which would be Thursday or, or, or early Friday, and then the, the, the venue and everything else would open to the general public. What that would force you to do is get in there bright and early Thursday or Friday, hit all the booths, interact with as many people, get your interviews, get everything else, and then spend the rest of your time doing what I like to call cleanup which is you're going around, you're collecting B-roll footage, you're conducting a couple of interviews, getting in on some demos, you know, reporting from the show floor, social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Over the years, me personally, I felt that I've improved on covering events, and I feel that I think I'm, you know, pretty, pretty solid when it comes to giving you guys coverage. But one of the things that ends up happening is people go, they do an appointment here, an appointment there, they show up at Microsoft, they show up at Sony, and then, you know, they go to parties and they try to get swag bags and that's it. And then when it's all said and done, they come back from E3 and maybe they published three or four episodes. And I think that by putting you up against the general public, I kind of feel that it puts a little fire, you know, it puts fire in your ass to go out there and do what you got to do. And I think for me personally, if I were an E3 attendee, I would I would strategize. I'd be like, OK, there's going to be a thousand people on the show floor. That's a thousand people that are going to become, you know, lining up to play all these games, do all this stuff. And you as a, as a person that's working the event, you just got to be more strategic. You got to plan your appointments in the morning. You got to know which stations are going to be the most crowded, hit those first, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And best of all, you know, having the general public there, if you're somebody that creates content, whether it's for a YouTube channel or for a website or for a media outlet, you're going to be able to get plenty of man on the street content and commentary from the people that are attending. And I think that that's what, you know, many of us want to see. We want to see genuine reactions. We don't want to see manufactured, uh, put together fluff pieces. We want to see real people enjoying the games, having a good time, and best of all, 
by you seeing real people enjoying these games, it may succeed in doing something that a tech demo doesn't do, and that is piquing the general public's interest. Yeah, I can show you a fancy trailer, and I can you know talk about this benefit and this great thing and that, etc., but at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is ensuring that the general public is ready, willing, and, and able to not only buy your titles, but support them from announcement to release. And certain companies do that better than others. I mean, Square Enix has done a good job. If you guys have been keeping up with uh, you know Slick's coverage of Hitman, you know that, that Slick has gone out of his way to ensure that Hitman gets the most coverage possible because not only does he enjoy the game, but he knows that his opinions on the game are going to possibly influence people's purchase of said title. And that's something that he takes a lot of pride in, much like I take pride in the product reviews I do for you guys. It's the same thing. It's like if I like the product and I believe in the product and it's good, I'm going to tell you it's good and I'm going to shout it from the rooftops that it's good. But if it sucks... I'm going to make sure to tell you that it sucks. And I think that that's something that happens to certain media outlets when they end up going to these events. Sometimes they they inadvertently become servants to, you know, whether it's the PR or the companies in general, because they're scared of of of, you know, damaging their own brand or or not getting the opportunities that are afforded to some of their peers. And I got to say to those individuals, you know, you got to nut up, man. If your game isn't that good, be like, eh, you know, I'm not really a fan of X. And you got to be honest. I feel that the honesty that that is, you know, so critical for, for content like this is important. I think that if somebody says, hey, you know, those play mechanics are kind of shitty, then who knows? Maybe somebody will actually listen and be like, oh, you know, maybe maybe we could improve on that. And these are the questions that you got to ask yourself. I think that opening it up to the public, again, we're not opening it up to thousands upon thousands of people. We're looking at maybe a thousand tickets. Uh, you know, they're looking, they're going to release 15,000 tickets overall with the first thousand tickets being sold for $149 and the rest at $249. And you got to remember, by allowing an extra 15,000 people to get in there, you just raised, let's say, your 2016 attendance. Let's say we opened up. E3 in 2016 to the public, you would end up adding an extra 16,000, which would have brought your totals up to 66,000, which is almost on par with what E3 was back in 2005. And again, people are going to Snapchat, Instagram, all that stuff, and they're just going to create an incredible amount of conversation for your stuff. Don't get me wrong. The gaming community does that already, but by allowing the general public the opportunity to get in there you're, like I said, leveraging a completely different outlet. But we'll see what happens. Like I said, um, a lot of the people I, I've talked to are 50-50. They're in a mixed camp. Some people think that it's good because it's going to you know, force E3 to make the event fun and more engaging and not just, hey, look at this video demo or sit in this theater. But I, like I said, I also feel that it's going to force outlets to really step their game up and not just worry about attending all the parties and getting the swag bags but actually going out there and putting in the work because they're going to be competing and sometimes even being scooped by the general public. If you got a guy that couldn't get to E3 as a member of the press and all of a sudden got in there, dropped $149 and took his camera and you know maybe took a microphone and went out there and just captured all this content, guess what he did? He went out there, he made the most of an opportunity, and then he ran with it. And that's another thing too. So I think that iron sharpens iron, and this is a great opportunity 
to not only raise the public profile of E3, but also make media outlets, you know, really step their game up to compete against, you know, citizen journalists. We'll see what happens. Obviously, E3 is not till later on this year. And as we get closer to the event, we'll be talking about that a little more. All right. So as I mentioned at the top of the show before we got the ball rolling, uh, we got new games for the month of February for both PlayStation and Xbox Live games with gold. I'm going to give you guys the uh, the PlayStation lineup first. On the PlayStation 4, you're going to get Little Big Planet 3 not, and Not a Hero. Those are both PS4 titles. You're going to get Star Wall for the PS3, which is also cross-buy with PS4. You're going to get Anna Extended Edition for your PS3. On the PS Vita, you're going to get Ninja Senki DX, which is on the Vita with a cross-buy for PS4. You're going to get Torque L, which is also a PS Vita title with a cross-buy for PS4 as well. All these games should be available for download. I believe they went live on the 7th, so you'll be able to pick up any of those games right now. Now, on the Xbox Live side of things with Games with Gold, you'll be able to get a couple of interesting titles. Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time um, is going to be available from February 1st through the 28th. Uh, Project Cars Digital Edition will be available from February 16th through March 15th, and both of those are for Xbox One. And then we're going to get some Lucas Games Classics. We're going to get Monkey Island 2 Special Edition, which is going to be available February 1st through the 15th on Xbox 360 and Xbox One. And if you're a Star Wars fan, Star Wars Force Unleashed will be available from February 16th through the 28th on Xbox 360 and Xbox One. So if you have uh, backwards compatibility and you've been wanting to jump back into some Star Wars or maybe Monkey Island, you will get that opportunity. So just to recap, on the PlayStation side, Little Big Planet 3, Not a Hero, available for PS4. Star Wall will be on PS3 with a cross-buy option for PS4. Anna Extended Edition, PS3. Uh, Ninja Senki DX will be on the Vita with a cross-buy for PS4. Torque L will be on the Vita with a cross-buy for PS4 as well. On the Xbox side of things, February 1st through the 28th, you got Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. From February 16th through March 15th, you're going to get Project Cars Digital Edition. Those are both for Xbox One. And if you have a 360 or an Xbox One that's backwards compatible, of course, you'll be able to check out Monkey Island 2 Special Edition and Star Wars Forced Unleashed. So some pretty solid titles there. Definitely going to be picking up Little Big Planet 3 since I didn't get a chance to really sit down and play that. I still have my PS3, so I may take Star Wall for a spin as well. And on the Xbox side of things, probably going to take Forced Unleashed for, for a ride once again. That was a fun game and fairly quick. I pretty much, uh, I believe I finished it in a day and a half. And just to go back and revisit that game, which was so fun, albeit a little short, uh, is definitely going to be a nice, nice pickup. And best of all, they are free. All right, we got some Street Fighter news this week. Uh, Capcom Unity and a couple of other sites reported and shared a trailer for the brand new addition to Street Fighter V. We actually got the trailer as well, and we'll be posting it on Rageworks. Uh, Colin, or Colleen, uh, who appeared in Street Fighter III as a non-playable character, will now be available as DLC starting February 28th. Uh, Colleen, who uses the uh, Russian martial arts Sistema, who many of you that know Game of Thrones, I mean Game of Thrones, um, Deadliest Warrior, will recognize that, and... Um, you know, they showcase the V-Trigger and her critical arts, and she does a lot of frost-based attacks as well as a lot of slashing 
attacks and knife hand strikes. Um, she's part of the season two character pass, which is available for twenty nine ninety nine. Uh, the first character from that pass was Akuma, which came out, which he was released in December. And you're gonna get four. Uh, you're gonna get four more fighters in addition to Colleen and Akuma. So six characters total. Of course, you're gonna get costumes, colors, etc. Um, you know, I saw the character. I thought that the character's usage in the story was pretty much going to make her a shoe in for DLC. Uh, the same could be said for um, uh, Rashid's. I, I guess his 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 butler, his assistant, whatever he is. Um, I feel he's definitely going to be a playable character. I feel those two are. I also am kind of thinking we might even see Gil as a playable character. I don't know why, just a nagging suspicion that you'll be able to play as Gil or a form of Gil uh, as a DLC character. It's interesting because Street Fighter V has really been, um, you know, I've had a love-hate relationship with the game. Like, I enjoy playing it. It's fun. Uh, it just takes me back to the roots, you know, a little, a little slower but a little bit more engaging. And I thought, you know, obviously Akuma being one of my favorite characters, uh, seeing him back in the game gave me renewed interest. I jumped back in, uh, used Akuma for a little bit. And it's funny too, because I was using uh, Charlie originally, and then I kind of started using Rashid, and those two characters were more or less my, my two mains. And then, um, you know, with Akuma coming in, it was like, oh, I got to go back to, to Old Faithful. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Colleen's attacks look really cool. I thought that the character design was solid. You know, we already know that Urian's in the game. So, obviously, if you haven't checked out the trailer, we're going to post it on RageWorks.net. And um, the character is going to be available on February 28th. The next bit of news involves Rock Band and not Rock Band on consoles, actually. It's uh, Rock Band VR, which Harmonix is releasing on the Oculus Rift, uh, March 23rd. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to allow you to use the Oculus Rift and a special controller, which you'll be able to connect to the Oculus Rift controller and participate uh, to utilize that this special guitar controller for this VR experience. Now, you know, Rock Band VR is going to be, uh, you know, it's going to have a bundle that they're going to be releasing on Amazon, but it's also going to include, you know, Walk This Way, uh, the Killers, When You Were Young, and Paramore's Ain't It Fun. So you'll be able to get those as part of the bundle that's exclusive to Amazon. And then, as I said, for $69.99, you can get a new compatible uh, PS4, Xbox One compatible guitar controller, which you can connect to your Windows PC via Bluetooth or Windows 10th anniver 10 Anniversary Edition, uh, which will also include a digital copy of Rock Band VR. Now, if you want to get into that VR experience, you're going to need an Oculus Rift headset and the Oculus Rift controller, which, like I said, you'd attach to the guitar controller. But, of course, Rock Band VR will also feature a classic mode, which is just going to let you play it normally. And, of course, it's going to also have a performance mode, which is going to give you some creative freedoms to do uh, almost a, a bit of a live concert. You'll be able to experiment with different chords, notes, strum speeds, and create your own signature sound. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think that, you know, VR, in my, in my opinion, again, just me personally, I feel VR for the gaming space, while everybody thinks that it's this huge immersive experience, I've only seen it executed well on a handful of occasions. Uh, Resident Evil, 
Uh, the last one that just came out had a really good VR experience that they did a great job with. But overall, I just feel that VR is something that really has applications for, you know, virtual tours, maybe, you know, doing stuff in that capacity, um, you know, some uh, different therapies, things like that. I just feel that VR from a from a retail space is too cumbersome. You know, the, the computing power, the, the uncomfortable headsets, the proprietary controllers. It's again, it, it looks promising. It is fun to a point, but it's not something I see people doing on a consistent basis. I mean, even the PSVR, which um, our very own JVB got, you know, I, I got to try it on and I said to myself, you know, it's it's pretty cool. It looks it looks awesome. You can actually watch movies in the PSVR with a new update that's going to be available on the PS4, which we talked about last week. But overall, it's just, like I said, it's just too cumbersome, man. You got the controller, you got all this shit, plus you need the space to thoroughly enjoy it. It almost reminds me about what happened with the Kinect and the PlayStation Move, where uh, in theory, you thought, oh, man, this is going to be great, this is going to be awesome. And yeah, it was fun for a while, but the novelty wore off. I mean, even with my Kinect, you know, I have a Kinect on the Xbox 360 and on the Xbox One. I did use the Kinect more on the Xbox One, obviously, for voice controls, etc., but over time, I just I found myself using it less and less and less and less. And again, don't don't get me wrong. It, it's a cool feature, but not something that's a make or break for me personally. Now, if you guys are really enjoying VR and you guys think that it's awesome by by all means, rock on. But I just feel that right now the technology isn't where it needs to be in order to ensure success for the platform. I think this is going to be one of those things where it's going to be fun for now but in two or three years, I just I just don't see it uh, having the same longevity that, you know, just regular games have had. But we'll see what happens. The fuck do I know? <laughs> in any case, if you do want to pick up Rock Band VR uh, for the Oculus Rift, mark it down on your calendars. It That date is going to be March 23rd. All right. Last bit of gaming news to wrap things up involves one of my favorite games, Mutant League Football, which was originally put out by EA. Uh, that led to Mutant League Hockey. We even had a Mutant League football cartoon that they used to give. And, um, you know, I've talked about it for years, about how I'd love to see Mutant League football. I think it would be awesome, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it looks like a version of that will be coming back. Uh, it's actually going to be called Mutant Football League by Digital Dreams, and it's doing crowdfunding through Kickstarter. Now, originally, they had tried to do a Kickstarter a while back and it didn't cut it didn't click you know they weren't successful but this time they're doing something a little different um obviously it's going to be a more modern interpretation of the the mutant league football that we all remember and um all that they're seeking to get the game done is sixty thousand dollars which will help with the final development of the game um originally they had tried to crowdfund the game back in 2013 and they were looking to raise seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars but only succeeded in raising $141,000, which obviously was not its target. Uh, but Polygon reports that the brand new uh, Mutant Football League is going to be a an NFL Blitz arcade-style game, obviously with all the mutants and monsters that we remember. But they're also going to include online and offline multiplayer for two to four players, both in competitive and co-op environments. And, of course, you're going to get the over-the-top violence and gore that we all remember from the 16-bit classic. Now, the cool thing is that if you are interested in checking it out, you can get the new Mutant Football League demo 
uh, thanks to, uh, you know, something that backers that pledge a dollar or more will be able to check out if you have Steam. So, again, if you want to check out Mutant Football League, you'll be able to do a pre-alpha demo on Windows with uh, courtesy of Kickstarter and the backers who donate a dollar or more. Like I said, you'll be able to play the game on Steam. As of right now, it looks like they're going to obviously shoot for Windows PC for a release later this year. And then more than more than likely a version for the PS4 and Xbox One in early 2018. But as of right now, the developer plans to release an alpha build of the game in April and an early access build in the summer. Again, I'm going to try and post links for the Kickstarter which is currently in progress. And again, it's, it'll be a great opportunity to check the game out. If you are a fan of mutant league football, um, I'm going to be honest, man. I saw, I saw some video of the game. It looks pretty badass, and I'm actually, you know, I'm not a steam or a PC gamer, but then for nostalgia's sake alone, I may, I may reactivate my steam account and pick up uh, mutant league football. I mean, you know, for, for a dollar, for a dollar or more to get a sneak preview at the game, What's the worst that could happen? Like I said, really excited. Um, PS4, Xbox One in early 2018, an alpha build in April. And you can check out the demo now if you pledge a dollar or more. Links for that, for the Kickstarter for Mutant Football League will be in the show notes for this episode. All right. I think that bit of news is a good way to close out the gaming segment this week on a high note. Time to switch gears and talk entertainment. Let's get to it. All right, let's get that ball rolling with some box office totals as split once again holds it down at the box office, earning an additional $14.6 million, bringing its total to $98.7 million. In the number two slot was Rings, earning $13 million flat. Uh, Number three was A Dog's Purpose. Uh, Number four, Hidden Figures. Number five was La La Land. Number six, Resident Evil, the final chapter, brought in $4.5 million, bringing its total to $21.9 million. Sing came in at number seven. Lion was number eight. The Space Between Us was number nine. Triple X, the return of Xander Cage, earned $3.7 million to round out the number 10 slot with its $40 million total. Of course, a very packed weekend at the box office. We got Lego Batman. Uh, the brand new Fifty Shades of Grey, and of course, John Wick. As much as I am excited for John Wick, I feel that the box office is probably going to be long to Lego Batman when it's all said and done. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey will probably leverage Valentine's Day, so I think that maybe we'll see that kind of creep up in the box office totals next week. But who knows? We'll see what happens. It's anybody's game this week. But um, for me personally, I'd be totally happy with Batman or John Wick taking the number one slot. But We'll see what happens. Obviously, as I said before, we'll be checking out John Wick and posting a review on RageWorks as soon as time becomes available, sooner rather than later, hopefully before the weekend is out. We shall see. Now, a couple of weeks back, we were talking about uh, a Friday the 13th reboot, and it's been kind of floating around in limbo. Well, Variety actually reports that Friday the 13th, the reboot was pulled from the October 13th release date, and they also yanked world war z2 which was scheduled to hit theaters june 9th um both films are now slated to be released in either 2018 or 2019 to fine-tune the script now in the case of friday the 13th they were actually going to reboot it again and it was going to have a brand new origin story 
Uh, the film's been delayed at least four times now. You know, in the film's October time slot, it was good because they were going to get that Friday the 13th. You know, um, they were going to leverage that October 13th release date. Obviously, that is not the case. In the case of World War Z 2, um, they actually had a director which dropped out. And, you know, they still want to get the movie there. Brad Pitt is currently, from what I've read, trying to get David Fincher to direct. Uh, the original film was a box office success, earning $540 million uh, worldwide and was actually considered one of Brad Pitt's biggest hits. Uh, as someone who read the World War Z book, uh, the movie was a far departure from that, and I really thought that the movie was okay. I know a lot of people uh, thought that it was fantastic, but if you've read the book, the book is the movie was a far departure from what they did in the book, and I was really bummed out when it was all said and done. I personally could give two shits less if they do a sequel for it, but you know they really you know 540 million dollars is something that you really can uh uh you know just ignore so world war z2 will probably get will probably get made just no time soon in the case of friday the 13th we had already done a reboot which i remember seeing in the theaters i believe jared padalecki was in it from supernatural and it was okay you know they did a they did a decent enough job rebooting something that was rather iconic and here we are again on the verge of the film being rebooted once more. And here's the thing. Friday the 13th isn't very difficult. You got a guy in a hockey mask. He kills co-eds. He's fucking crazy. And he can't be stopped. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You know, if you can make Jason's character compelling by sending him to Manhattan, to space, I, I think you can do a decent enough job making, making the story compelling and scary. I mean, don't misunderstand. The Friday the 13th films aren't exactly oscar worthy films but they succeeded in in doing something either you know really campy or really scary or a combination of the two and i think that you know as they tried to to reinvent the wheel they lost sight of what the film was really about which was about a guy in a hockey mask chopping people up it's not it's not too damn difficult but obviously with the film being delayed four times now i i'm almost inclined to say that we probably will not be seeing it at all but um who knows? I could be wrong. Well, I got to say on the small screen side of things, uh, business is picking up. I actually had the chance to check out Legion on FX and I was, don't get me wrong. It started off a little slow and I wasn't sure I was going to like it. But by the time the episode was over, I was fucking hooked. I was like, holy shit, this is insane. Uh, they did a really good job, you know, just tying in that mutant mythology and people's fear of the unknown. They did a good job with that. I thought the acting was really good and you know, I'm going to I'm going to tough it out and check out a couple of episodes to form a more a more complete opinion. But that first episode was tremendous. Another show that's that's on my radar that I wanted to mention real quick was uh, the young pope on HBO, which is a limited series. Uh, it has Jude Law, who plays um, uh, Pope Lenny and um, Lenny, obviously being his regular name and not obviously his name is Pope. And, um, you know, he's a young pope that gets elected and he gets in there because there were some machinations that were being done in order to get a guy in there that can be easily manipulated. Needless to say, Jude Law gets in there and he turns the establishment on its fucking head. Um, it's it's crazy, man. It starts off again, much like I was saying with Legion, a little slow, but it has such a great cast. You got Diane Keaton, uh, Jude Law, who is tremendous. Um 
James Cromwell, who's who's stellar as well. I feel that the show is incredibly underrated, and it has so many crazy, crazy moments. I want to give a shout out to the guys at Film Drunk who actually do recaps of the episodes, and they're just hilarious because they actually just highlight and showcase all the crazy shit that the Pope does uh, through each episode. And I believe it's going to be a ten episode limited series. But man, is it is it some underrated craziness? Uh, also, this weekend, we got the return of The Walking Dead, which we saw the teaser during the Super Bowl, and um, pretty excited for that. I think, uh, you know, a lot of us want to see where, where you know, Rick and, this, and, and his crew go against Negan and the Saviors, and um, looking forward to that this Sunday. Now, on the Netflix side of things, Netflix has been rather busy, obviously, promoting Iron Fist, but also they put out a teaser for the fifth season of Orange is the New Black, which if you're a fan... You're going to want to mark down June 9th on your calendar as that will be uh, the debut for season five of Orange is the New Black. In addition to that, there was also an announcement that we will be seeing a Castlevania animated series debuting on Netflix this year with a second season to follow in 2018. Um, Adi Shankar, who is uh, working on the series as as a producer, has said that Warren Ellis will be writing both seasons. For those of you that are familiar with Warren Ellis or have heard his name spoken casually, Warren Ellis has done some awesome graphic novels, including The Authority, Transmetropolitan, and Planetary, just to name a few, plus work on various other books. But Warren Ellis being involved and, you know, Netflix getting this series uh, definitely has piqued my interest. I mean, Netflix not has knocked it out of the park with the new Voltron and um, I'm excited to see what they do with Castlevania. I think that the the mythology and, and the stories that were told with the Castlevania games would translate well, in, and especially for an animated medium, which is just so much simpler. You don't got to worry about too much. You just got to get a good voice cast and, you know, obviously do the stories justice. So we'll see what happens once we get a, an official air date and any additional casting. We will share that with you guys. While we are on the subject of casting, I did want to mention that You know, obviously, besides Legion, there's also another X-Men television series heading your way. And Fox actually made its first casting announcement by um, announcing Blair Redford, who many of you may have seen it switched on at birth or satisfaction. He's going to be playing the role of Sam, who is described as a strong headed Native American leader of the Underground Network, which is the network that the series uh, family ends up joining. Now, if you guys don't remember I actually explained the plot synopsis for this X-Men television series, but I'll share it once again because it's been a while. Now, this isn't going to be your typical X-Men series where you're going to borrow, you're going to see Wolverine and Storm, et cetera, et cetera. You're not going to see that. We may see some X-Men or some mutant characters that we recognize, but we're not going to see any of the heavy hitters unless obviously something crazy happens. But the, the, the focus of this series is going to follow two parents who discover that their children possess mutant powers. Now, obviously, you know, to protect their children, they go on the run from the government and they end up joining an underground network of mutants that obviously are trying to fight to survive and protect themselves. Now, obviously, when I first read this, much like many others, when you heard the name Sam, you were probably thinking much like I was that we would be seeing Sam Guthrie, who was Cannonball, a member of X-Flix, uh, X-Flix, uh, X-Force, sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, Sam Guthrie is not Native American. Now, that's not to say that we won't see uh, some of the trademark 
X-Men characters who are Native, Native American, including Forge or Thunderbird and Warpath, but this character may either be a completely original character or just someone else completely that is similar to an established character in the X-Men canon. Now, for me personally, I'm, I'm intrigued in seeing what they do with this because, like I said, Legion was was really crazy visually just a stunning stunning show to to kick things off i'm not sure if 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 it's going to keep people engaged because it's really very cerebral you know there's a lot of crazy stuff going on especially in that first episode and the effects are out of this world but i think that with the success that that dc's had on the cw and even agents of shield to a point i think that maybe fox may do something very good with the X-Men property on the small screen, but I am a little apprehensive. Like I said, Legion Legion has kind of got my hopes up, but you know, going into the bigger X-Men universe is going to be a very, very big risk. Obviously, once we get additional news uh, from a casting side, we will share that with you guys. Now, last week I mentioned that uh, you know the Runaway series is um, you know getting put together, and obviously we were talking about. Uh, some of the the characters that were going to be portrayed on the show, but they're actually made some. They've actually made some casting announcements for the the group called the Pride, which are the villains of the series. As I mentioned last week, uh, the Pride are essentially the parents of our heroes, aka the Runaways, who obviously are trying to stop their parents from just doing terrible shit. Uh, a lot of a lot of interesting names have surfaced with regards to casting. Uh, James Marsters, who many of you may know for, as Spike from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, has joined the series, as has Anne Wershing, who was Renee Walker on 24, and um, Ryan Sands, who many of you may know as Lloyd Garrick, a.k.a. Truck, on The Wire, are um, some of the newest casting additions. Now, Runaways is going to be airing on Hulu, and if you get a chance, definitely check out the book. It's really good. Um you know, they have the, a full cast of characters. A lot of actors I've recognized from other things. Some are new. You know, Kip Pardue is going to be playing um, uh, Frank Dean. And he's going to be, um, you know, he's, he's going to be the character, the father of Carolina. And Kip Pardue was in Remember the Titans and Ray Donovan. Like I said, James Marsters, of course, um, which from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel is just a great character. I really enjoyed his his brief stint on Hawaii Five O, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be pretty pumped to see what they do. Uh, I may have to actually pull the trigger and get Hulu to check out the Runaways because, like I said, I I read the book, I enjoyed it, and I thought the concept was interesting. You know, you got this these these heroic kids who are trying to stop their villainous parents, and I just thought that the concept was awesome. Once I get additional news with regards to air date, etc. I will share it with you guys, but definitely uh, some really good casting choices. That's for sure. Now, earlier in this segment, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, a reboot for Friday the 13th. But the crazy thing is, uh, Jason Voorhees isn't the only slasher getting a reboot, man. And this this actually was kind of segueing a little bit into WTF news category just because of the people involved. But I figured eh, maybe not. So. The Hollywood Reporter is saying that David Gordon Green, who did Pineapple Express and our branding crisis, will be directing a brand new Halloween film. But get this, the script is is written by him and Danny McBride. Yes, Kenny Powers, that Danny McBride. Um, John Carpenter, who directed the original Halloween in 1978, 
uh, announced the news on Facebook, and he said that David and Danny both came to my office recently with Jason Bloom and shared their vision for a new movie, and wow, they get it. I think you're going to dig it. They blew me away. I might even do the music, maybe. It could be kind of cool, and you'll get to see it in theaters on October 19th, 2018. Now, the crazy thing is Halloween, to, to date, has 10 films under its belt. This includes the remake from Rob Zombie and its sequel, plus all the other films. And, you know, Halloween for me is, is another one of those iconic movies. As, as a horror movie buff, it's always, you know, Friday the 13th Part 1, uh, you know, and, and most of the sequels I enjoyed in one capacity or another. With Halloween, I always felt that 1 and 2 were amazing, and then, you know, Season of the Witch was complete dog shit, and then we got into the other films, which talked about, you know, the cult of Sam Hain and the crazy Mark and Thorn and all this crazy shit. And it got it got insane. But um Halloween one and two, I mean Halloween two made me have a phobia of hospitals for years just because, you know, the entire film took place in a hospital and it was it was completely insane. And um, you know, the Rob Zombie Halloween movies were were good. I thought that they were just visceral and violent, which is what you would expect from somebody like Rob Zombie putting out something like that, just more in your face, more, like I said, more crazy. But um, I was really just taken taken aback by the fact that Danny McBride is, you know, helped co-write the script and the fact that John Carpenter actually is co-signing it. I mean, you know, I'm not a fan of reboots. I, I you know, I have my my issues with them, but damn, to to he, to get a co-sign from John Carpenter himself is pretty badass. I gotta say so. Brand new Halloween, written by Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, hitting theaters October 19th, 2018. Now, while we are on the subject of reboots, funny enough, Kevin Smith actually posted on Facebook that he is working on a brand new Jay and Silent Bob film uh, called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, which obviously is a sequel to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is going to poke fun at Hollywood's tendency to reboot properties. I uh, love Jay and Silent Bob. I thought Jay and Silent Bob Strike Strike Back was tremendous. And uh, Kevin Smith, you know, I, his, his movies are a guilty pleasure for me. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely signed on for that. And um, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm kind of pumped just to see what what Kevin Smith brings to the table. He's been killing it with with the DC shows lately. His Supergirl episode, the, the you know, his episode on the Flash was tremendous. So we'll see what happens, man. Once I get more news, of course, I will share it with you guys. Now, last week we were talking about the Scarface reboot and the casting of Diego Luna, who will be playing Scarface in the film. Well, Universal Pictures has revealed that the remake is being written by the Cone Brothers, which is crazy, and um, is now scheduled for a release in 2018, uh, that being August 10th, 2018. Of course, this is a brand new reimagining, which obviously the, the 1983 film was a reimagining of an older film. So uh, some pretty crazy stuff. The Cone Brothers are are tremendous, tremendous talents. I'm curious to see what they bring to the table in terms of just telling, you know, the story of, of Tony Montana. Uh, Diego Luna really impressed me in Star Wars Rogue One. I was like, wow, this guy, this guy's awesome. And, you know, they let him just act naturally. There weren't any type of, you know, bait and switches or we're gonna hide your accent you know he was a latino actor and he played the role and he crushed it so again you know i like i've said i have my my love-hate relationship with reboots and i really just don't want them to touch something as iconic as scarface but um hearing that the coen brothers are involved man it it, uh it kind of it kind of gets me a little intrigued a little 
a little, like 5%. Or, uh, you know what, I'll go with Rocket Raccoon's favorite, you know, 12%. <laughs> you know, that that's what we'll go with. But I'll be honest, I, I, I just, I'm, I know these movies usually just bomb, but hearing the Coen brothers being involved is, um, like I said, it's interesting. So we'll see what happens. Of course, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel and DC stuff. On the Marvel side of things, we got two new stories. First off, Michael Douglas confirmed that he will be coming back as Hank Pym for Ant-Man and the Wasp. He actually posted it on Facebook, and the film is scheduled to start filming in July with an expected release date of July 6, 2018. On the DC side of things, we know that Ben Affleck has stepped down for director duties for the Batman, but Variety is reporting that Matt Reeves, who did Cloverfield and Dawn, of the planet of the apes is in talks to direct the film with Ben Affleck, of course, in the starring role. Um, I like Matt Reeves, man. The planet of the apes films were crazy. Cloverfield. It's Cloverfield is weird because there's certain things I really liked about it. And then there was a lot that I was just like, what the hell, man? So, uh, you know, it, to see an actor like that, uh, well, to see a combination of actor and director like that is interesting because I think Matt Reeves is going to bring, you know, a fresh vision, to, to the film, but I also feel that Ben Affleck has the, the capacity to, you know, kind of add to Matt Reeves' impressive skill set. So we'll see what happens. Of course, uh, Ben Affleck will be squaring off against Deathstroke. We're also going to see, you know, Jeremy Irons back as Alfred, J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon. Uh, no release date for the Batman yet. We just know that Batman's going to fight Deathstroke, and that's going to be fucking awesome. We'll see what happens. Obviously, once we get some more official confirmations about Matt Reeves uh, stepping in. We will share it with you guys, but Variety pretty much is saying that Matt Reeves is in talks to direct the film, and um, a couple of other media outlets are actually reporting that you know he is officially signed, but by this time next week, hopefully we'll know for sure, and I can give you guys that confirmation. Now, the next bit of news is a little crazy because this, um, you know, this is just insane. So we know that Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 2 is going to be hitting theaters sooner rather than later. And we also know that Marvel, based on the film that they put out uh, today, as a matter of fact, that the, the Avengers Infinity War is filming. Well, the crazy thing is that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, obviously, you know, the film is wrapped. Everybody, everybody likes it. Uh, Chris Pratt has said that it's going to be amazing. And um, they did a test screening for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And the Hollywood Reporter states that the film has garnered an extremely rare and in some cases considered unprecedented perfect score of 100 out of 100. Now, the crazy thing is that Iron Man 3 and the Avengers tested in the high 90s, um, you know, and they they what they did was they called from a group of recruiters for friends and family screenings. And instead of doing that, they called upon random people to see the movie and this allowed, you know, just the, the, the studio to have more control and um, the test screenings were done internally. But the fact that the film has uh, scored something that high and has just been received in such a positive fashion really just makes me super excited to what to see what Marvel has on deck with Guardians Volume 2 um, and to see that it, it, it tested, you know, for for 100 out of 100. And again, there's a lot of factors there you know, who attended, what type of people were they, what were the age categories, there's obviously a lot of data that we can dig into, but, um, I did want to, I did want to add that to see, to see that, and just to see the excitement 
not only for obviously that piece that Collider and the Hollywood Reporter put out, but also just to see the excitement of people sharing the trailers and the pictures and, you know, drawing baby Groot. We know that they've definitely they definitely got something. And um, I'm really looking forward to it, man, to hear that it got a, a, a 100, a perfect internal you know screening score is is insane so something to look forward to ladies and gentlemen guardians volume 2 is uh, you know i i think it's going to be another another banger for marvel that's that's pretty much where i stand with it now um that bit of news is going to wrap up the entertainment segment but i did want to kind of start introducing um a little segment to close things out i'm going to call it for now i'll call it the tech minute and um, I wanted to talk about this because a lot of people always reach out to me to discuss uh, technology, whether they want recommendations or they want my input or help setting up certain things. And one thing that's been happening for a while now is people always reach out, especially right around this time of year. And they're like, hey, man, I want to get a new TV. What are you looking at? What do you like? What do you think is good? And obviously, I always go, hey, you know, I like this. Um you know, I like Vizio from a value perspective. I like uh, Sony. A lot of Sony TVs have been just tremendous for me. But um, I was really bummed with a piece of information that came out regarding Vizio where, um, you know, uh, Boy Genius Report and a couple of sites reported this, that um, in November 2015, Vizio smart TVs were actually collecting data about its customers without their knowledge. And in, in other words, uh, the television had software embedded that was spying on everything that you watched. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission filed a complaint against Vizio uh, this past Monday, which explained the type and the amount of data that Vizio collected. And Vizio, of course, came clean and acknowledged the practice, and they agreed to pay $2.2 million to settle charges and to stop collecting the data without consent. Now, the crazy thing is, if you were, you know, if you picked up a TV in 2014, the the software was collecting a bunch of stuff. Uh, Ars Technica reports that the that Vizio would then sell that data to unnamed third parties for audience measurement, analysis, and tracking, which is ridiculous and insane. Um, as I said, Vizio is has been fined, and they will be paying that. Uh, the software captured what they're saying is about a hundred billion data points each day from more than ten million Vizio TVs. Uh, the software, like I said captured information that could put together a profile about the users, including age, sex, income, marital status, household size, education level, home ownership, etc. And like I said, the data was being was transmit was being transmitted uh, illegally and it wasn't you know it wasn't being told to the general public. Now as I said, Vizio is going to be paying the fine, but it's just it's pretty crazy. Now a couple of sites have already um put out white paper on how to block or disable the software if you know if you have an older Vizio TV I'm going to try and find that for you guys so you guys know uh, how to do that and I will put a link in the show notes but I wanted to mention that because as somebody who has recommended Vizio as a good value option for people um, I'm really upset to see this company not only doing this but doing this behind the scenes and the funny thing is a lot of a lot of other blogs and websites have reported that other televisions do this also and you know Vizio's not the only one Vizio just happens to be the one that got caught now as i said you know we live in a in an age where everything we do is being uh cataloged and utilized for advertisement 
you know, advertisement purposes, whether it's, you know, your, your traffic habits on your site, your traffic habits on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. It's all being put together in an algorithm to give you, you know, custom made advertising, et cetera, et cetera. What bothers me is the fact that Vizio willingly did this for so long and all of a sudden came clean now. It just makes you wonder if they they did it and if they would have kept doing it if nobody had brought it to, to the public's attention. Uh, it bums me out, and I'm, I'm inclined to say that if you are looking for a TV, at least for now, until it's, it's a, you know there's official ways to uh, withdraw or remove yourself from any sort of tracking, I cannot in good conscience recommend you to pick up a Vizio television if you're looking for a new TV for your home theater. Because like I said, I'm just bothered by the whole tracking and the fact that they're just like, yeah, we'll pay a fine. That's it. I don't, I'm not a fan. You know, I've always I always feel that transparency is key. And if you're going to collect the customer's data, you should let them know. And most importantly, you should make it extremely, 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 extremely visible for people to opt out or to disable the software if necessary and if they don't feel comfortable because think about it man you know we all we all watch different things some of the stuff is more questionable than others and again this television is collecting this data and building this profile what if you what if you know and and again these are these are real world cases what if you're just somebody who's like into porn watching porn for hours upon hours on end or or watching things that are just a little a little off the beaten path you know what that data is being collected and it's being sent somewhere and yeah maybe your name or your address or whatever isn't there but if you're if the television is running through wi-fi it it it, all they got to do is look at your ip address if you're watching something questionable it's just it it really is um like i said disheartening and what bothered me most was the fact that they're like yeah we did it you know we'll pay a fine and that was it it's like no you were fucking spying on people and you you didn't let them know and it's insane i mean don't get me wrong as somebody who uses social media and is pretty public to a point with their life because obviously my life is intertwined with rageworks i can understand but i just think that doing that and just like i said just being so so um not nefarious cuz that's a that's a that's a big villainous word to use but just being uh, you know, just not being upfront with people about it and not, like I said, allowing them to withdraw or disable the software is just a big issue. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that to you, to everyone's attention. Um, if you do have a Vizio TV, I'm going to try and get the link for you guys to, to disable that, especially if it's an older model. And if you are looking for a Vizio TV now, just make sure when you're in the store, see if that menu item is available to disable that software so that, you know, it doesn't track your viewing habits. If you are in the market for a TV, like I said, I usually would recommend Vizio from a value perspective. Uh, Start looking at Samsung and Sony. Um, I'd even go as far as to recommend TCL, but I'm not 100% impressed with some of the stuff that they're doing. But Samsung and Sony definitely are doing a good job, and even LG to a degree as well. But Vizio, for the time being, unless, like I said, you're going to go and disable the software and you know how to do it and you feel comfortable then by all means do so. But otherwise, I can in good conscience recommend their TVs for the time being. Anyway, I think that this is a good introduction to the Tech Minute, which we're going to include to close out the shows uh, going forward because I know some of you guys want to hear a little bit about that. Uh, In any case, uh, that actually is going to wrap up this week's episode of My Take Radio. So 
I've given you guys my take on gaming, entertainment, and even tech. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out via social media. You can find links in the show notes for this episode. But real quick, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all the usual social media outlets. As I said, look for the links in the show notes. All right. Join us next week for the MMA and wrestling edition of My Take Radio, as well as a brand new gaming and entertainment edition. Thank you guys for hitting that download button and pressing play. I'll see you later. Peace. My Take Radio is part of the RageWorks Podcast Network, bringing you the best rants about gaming, entertainment, and the works. To find out more, visit us at RageWorks.net.